What's going on guys? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. Very excited about today's episode. We've got a, a guest that I was, we had planned to do a live show together on Facebook, but with everything going on, the internet connection in the evenings has been very tough. I've had a lot of uh, live streams dropped, and so I've decided at this time to just hold off on the live streams for a little bit and uh, pre-record these shows, getting a lot more traction on the podcast platforms as well as YouTube. So um, if you are watching this um, on on YouTube or listening to it as a podcast, I apologize if you're a normal live stream viewer, um, but we will get back into the normal live streaming um, way of things once all this is done. I think uh, the issue is so many people at home in the evenings, you know, watching Netflix and Hulu and on the internet, on Instagram, on their phones, it's just clogging up that, uh, that internet access. So uh, this has been the best option. If we do get dropped on this recording like this, because um, we're still recording through Skype, we can always call back and jump right back into it and it's not as big of a deal. So um, one other remind or two more reminders. One, the Patreon page. If you do love this podcast um, in these times, it's just super helpful. It's a huge blessing if you support us financially, just $5 or $10 a month you can choose. We're doing some giveaways. We need one more um, person before I give away those custom painted swim baits. Um, to join Patreon, and then I'm going to do two more rod giveaways, um, some HMGs with some pin conflict twos. So if you want a chance to win those, go subscribe to our Patreon, um, and we're going to start doing some live streaming through that as well once all this is done. But um, the other thing, the private Facebook group, if you want to you know interact and connect with the other listeners and viewers of the show, go check out that Facebook group where you can um, chat and you know make friends. May, hopefully, go. My goal for it is for y'all to be able to meet each other and go fishing together. So. Um, enough of me rambling here. I think it's time to bring on our guest, who is the a fishing guide in New Jersey, and also I think it's New Jersey, right? Yes, Southern and, New Jersey. Yep. Southern New Jersey, and uh, the owner of Bottom Sweeper Jigs, which is really blown up here in North Carolina. But what's going on, Dan? What's happening, man? Great to be here, dude. Yeah, in for stormy sure. in these stormy, desperate times, man. I, <laughs> I keep looking at the radar, and it is like a huge band of crap mm-hmm. coming right at us, but. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try to crank this thing out before we get worked by it. So, uh, well, cool. Yeah. I got, I got the, uh, the bottom super jig logo up here in the top right, left hand, right hand corner, whatever. I don't know how y'all are going to see it. Um, and if y'all haven't checked out these jigs, check out this podcast, listen to it, let's, or watch the show. We're going to, we're going to dive into why these are, are huge, but also we're really going to focus on Dan's guide business up there for honestly trophy size sheep's head and, uh, talk. So that's what I'm really excited about. And I think what you're excited about too, and and I just I don't want to leave this podcast without talking about the the jigs as well because they're so productive and they're unique and and they're just cool cool products. So let's uh, let's get started with kind of your backstory, how you got into fishing, um, how you became a guy. My background is uh, largemouth. Largemouth, sweet. Yes, absolutely. Um, I did like a lot of saltwater fishing growing up, but nothing that technical. Um, I did some like tuna, some blue fishing, um, things like that. Um, outside of Barnegat Inlet, actually, uh, Barnegat Lake, which is a famous area, man, um, for uh, offshore fishing, um, canyon fishing. But primarily, um, around the age of like yeah, like nineteen years old, I got into largemouth fishing and fishing competitively uh, amongst clubs and things like that. And I traveled yeah. all over the place. I went to um, I went to Ohio and the the, the Mobile uh, River Delta in Alabama. Um, yeah, so that was uh, that was mo- mostly my background, and I ended up moving down to Cape May County uh, in, in southern New Jersey, which is the which is a very very southern tip of New Jersey um, on a peninsula. And what we are here is um, we're just salt marsh, and we are um, just surrounded by barrier islands. And it's unique to the rest of the state um, to where there's 
there's such a buffer here where industry never really touched this place. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple of like claiming factories and things like that, but it, to to get from like industry to us, there's a, a massive, massive buffer where central Jersey is more or less like pine barrens. Um, and then you get up into even more urban areas uh, like Point Pleasant, um, Brick, New Jersey, uh, which is a completely different ecosystem and uh, climate than we have uh, up know. there. Um, you're you're what you have, what you called was the they call it like the glacier line to where okay. um, the landscape is completely different than where we're at. So pretty much above like Princeton going north, uh, you had uh, during the Ice Age, you had all the glaciers and all of those glaciers carried rocks along with them down the Hudson river Valley and, and all those different areas. And they dumped them offshore and uh, it just pretty much mowed down the landscape and then put natural structure uh, over there where we're, where, where we were at down here. Uh, it was pretty much an inland swamp, um, almost like a tundra. Yeah. And then you, and then you were, went about a hundred miles outside the canyons and then you had, you had your walrus and, and, and all those other creatures out there. And this is only going back about 10,000 years ago. So you can see that we're, this region here was untouched by, by, uh, by glaciers and up North was just completely mowed down. So, uh, what we're dealing with here is this really, um, you know, ancient, ancient marsh That's where, where awesome. we have right And then when the ocean came back in again, um, all those marshes, um, you know, they pretty much went from from salt back to uh, or from freshwater back to back to salt water at that point. Okay. So um, super unique environment down here. Uh, and you'll see it going through Assateague, um, pretty much all the way going down to your way abouts, really. Yeah. So what kind of grasses are you seeing mostly in your marsh up there in your saltwater marsh? Well, we have Spartina. Yes, we, Spartina. We have a lot of the same stuff. But we do. We do um, if you go further up north where you have um, Barnegat Light, uh, that's more or less all that sand that blew down from Canada that got like pulverized by the glaciers. So you have a lot of like very fine sand in their backwaters, which makes for extremely beautifully clear water yeah. um, and eelgrass, but it's mostly unfertile. What we have here is we're kind of the Delaware River shed. So our water here, it's very clear, very clean, but it's also fertile water yeah. um, to where we have a lot of color to our water. Uh, our ocean really doesn't begin until about eight miles out. Okay. Uh, that's when you hit the shipping lanes and that's when you get the ocean currents and get that apple sea green water uh, out there. So we pretty much have our estuary water really goes to about eight miles out, man, to where we're wreck fishing off the beach um, in about uh, 35 foot of water, um, like two, like up to like two miles off the beach. So you can see how much of a gradual decline it was, yeah, yeah. Um, or a very slow sloping uh, um, shoreline to where we don't really get false albacore like like that in and you'll see that in a lot of different pockets because like we're kind of a pocket that, that that comes in you'll see that in georgia you probably see that actually in wrightsville beach right right below there it probably shallows out into like a little bit of a plateau yeah there, it where, does where we're further up north it's more of a you know more of a more of a downward slope but you know you'll you'll see that anywhere you have an indentation on the coast to where it, it used to be land and that and that's and that's just where it was yeah definitely definitely yeah we see you know we miss some migration some years of the cobia and uh yeah. the bull redfish a little bit more because of that bay we're kind of in that onslo bay area um, you know here's an interesting us. fact my cousin um my cousin's like one of the lead biologists in florida um he works under dr patterson who's in gainesville and uh, so my cousin does a lot of studies out there does a lot of rv stuff yeah. um off the gulf coast he's been doing that for you know probably about as long as i've been guiding for and uh you know they're out there the one day and the captain brought them to uh like this super productive piece of bottom and uh there was all kinds of things down there. My and my cousin was like, 
like, what's here? And he's like, trees. And they're like 35 miles off the coast. Really? And he's like, and he's like, trees. My cousin's like, well, what do you mean, trees? He's like, trees. So he dropped the RV down there, and guess what's down there? Cypress forest. Really? Well, you're talking about 30 miles, 30, 35 miles off the coast. So that was during the ice age, inland swamp. Yeah. God, that's crazy. Also, no, so so it's like okay, so here, you know, we're we're fishing, you know, off the beach, and, um, you know, you can draw up your anchor, and you'll get, you know, you'll get roots from like marsh grass. Yeah. That was out. So this is like some super cool, like, you know, you're you're finding like some of that natural structure out there that gets unearthed by hurricanes and storms and things things like that. That that adds like a different dimension to bottom fishing. Yeah, definitely. I think that's super cool. So let's talk a little bit about how you chose to be a fishing guide and how you know your company Bottom Super Jigs came into play as well. Well, um, I have an action craft. I have an 18 foot action craft um, up here. It's a pulling skiff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trolling motor on the front of it, um, 21 foot Civvy push pole, pulling platform, 150 Optimax Mercury. So it's kind of a, it's kind of like the Millennium Falcon of, <laughs> of, uh, of skiffs to where it's not a technical, you know, and it's not a full blown, you know, bay boat. It's uh, it's that sweet spot, mid 90s, ni- 1995 uh, skiff. Back when they're kind of like still figuring it out, it has a pocket drive, so it runs in like full throttle, six inches of water. It's like ridiculous. Super fast boat. Um, but where I'm at here, I'll have a whole lot of open, open water to, to, to contend with. So, um, I'm mostly kind of like Wrightsville. If you, if you look behind that beach there, that, that backwater to where it's like, no matter where you go, you're pretty much sheltered. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, I got that boat. Um, uh, I had a kayak for about three years, uh, fishing saltwater, doing a lot, a lot of like dock lighting at night, having some fun doing that. And then, um, when I got the boat. Oh, I knew I wanted the guide. This is probably going back to like 2006, I think, some sometime around there. And uh, I know, I know, I know, I wanted to guide. Um, I just had to make myself a little bit more familiar with the water. Um, so I just started applying like a lot of the techniques I learned for largemouth. And I was a big jig fisherman with largemouth too. I was um, uh, jigging pig back is what they called it back then. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, pitching jigs and working uh, flooded timber and things like that. So that was like really like one of my strong points. Um, and just pulling big fish out of out of out of lakes where you just never saw a big fish before, they just moved moved on a jig. So um, I was proficient with using a baitcaster. Um, got super super duper proficient at using spinning gear. Um, so uh, most what I started off with was using uh, top water for striped bass. Um, back then, you know, uh, black fishing or togging wasn't 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 as huge as it is now. Uh, so when we started doing it with like dropper rigs and things like that. Um, we uh there wasn't a whole lot of people doing it and you know we were we were catching like just these beautiful fish like like left and right like five six seven eight pound tog um like no one's business uh and we had an aqua view camera so so the camera really came into play um so my brother lived over in columbus ohio and he used to come every weekend to go to go freshwater fishing well, he, he, he moved down to Florida, then he got a job up in Connecticut to where he had a satellite office up there. So he would drive down from Norwalk, Connecticut, down to down to southern New Jersey um, every four days. He was four days on, four days off to go fishing with me. So we had a lot of time to a lot of time to go fishing. Plus, I worked at the hotel at the time, so I was like a three to eleven. Um, so, you know, I could <laughs> fish after work right? and I could fish uh, and I could fish, um, you know, before I before I went into work. Uh so, um, we had the Aquaview camera and we were, and we were dropping it down there, you know, seeing like all the different fish and all the different structure we had. And we started noticing, noticing a lot of sheepshead, a ton of sheepshead. Uh, but there was no real good way of catching them. Um, 
the rigs that we're using, we weren't using Carolina rigs. We were using like a drop, just like a dropper rig. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were, we were, we were tog fishing, um, the one day and, uh, you know, lo and behold, my brother, you know, I think he just broke a rig off or whatever. He's like, he's like, screw this. And he just grabbed the spinning, a spinning rod with a jig on it. And, uh, you know, we, we started, we started catching, uh, tog on jigs. This is probably like maybe 2000 and, seven or something like that yeah ways 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 back and then um you know then we got like really proficient at doing that you know there's different stuff on the market that you know that we were kind of getting by on um very very thin wire stuff more more like more like largemouth stuff yeah and uh so um we started like getting the sheep's head so we started started, so we started catching them and and when i say we're catching sheep's head we were the only people up here catching sheep's head wow you know and i was the only people catching fish on top order during the day you know because we we went from like you know catching uh striped bass in the mornings on top water to as a guide now i can catch fish on top water like one o'clock in the afternoon at yeah. noon. it just you know it's it's just a, the style of fishing that we learned so so we started catching them um on that and then um i uh cast that first mold for them um way back when um around 2010 i guess or around there um just out of like some homemade stuff that's cool but nevertheless um we were uh i was guiding for them in like 2010 i had people like come on all over the place i had a, a, i did like a world fishing network um episode for sheep said like back in 2010 but i wasn't like very proficient at it mm-hmm. like i would i could catch them i could guide for them but i could catch like you know one or two fish three fish a day maybe um and then um you know our, our techniques accelerated to, for them to where you know, I think my best day um, in recent years was like 27, like three hours. And, that, wow. and this is an area here where it's like it's it's they're not they're not in the abundance of of most fish. And usually it's like a minimum of like eight pounds, eight pounds on up. You know, I mean, you could get you could catch, you know, four fish over 10 pounds, like, you know, uh, in a row, you know, yeah. very, very quick. Um, it's such a dynamic way to fish, man. Um that you get these little windows of opportunity that open up. Uh, and most importantly, the fish were literally two, three feet below the surface. So these, well, these are things that were, if we, we if we were bottom fishing, you know, with rigs, um, years ago, we would be fishing on the bottom and, you know, we would see fish on the camera, like mid column, but we weren't like, you know, real keen on how to, on how to target those fish. Um, we got this in a way to where it's like they're literally sitting like below the trolling motor. I remember we were doing like a, we were, I filmed with a, with a crew, um, for tackle direct, uh, for about maybe 18 days, uh, this, this last year. So, and you can see those on my YouTube page. Um, and I remember he was setting up his camera. He was, uh, getting the housing on this like AK, uh, red Epic camera, uh, and I was literally sitting there, like waiting for him to uh, finish up his finish up his rigging. And it was like a certain tied frame to where it's like I knew exactly like where these fish would be, like within a, within like inches of a certain piling, you know, in a certain tide mm-hmm. on a certain um, tide phase. Because I'd, I'd been chasing him here for like two days, and the second like he had everything ready, I was like, I was like, you're ready? And he's like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, are you ready? Ready? He's like, <laughs> he's like, once. And like he, he lays for he waits for the camera to like boot up. I'm like, okay. I'm like, all right, press record presses record i drop down four feet shut the bail and then 
11 pounds right there. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, and, and it's, and it's like, you know, it's not something that's, it's just, I, I, it's not where it's like, I've got some magical skill or I'm, you know, I'm, um, it's just, I, I, I just know where these fish are going to be just depending upon, um, just knowing these fish for just a really like a long time. And it's kind of crazy too, because if you think about it, like I have got like one piling that, uh, was just a classic one. I've been fishing since like 2010, like when I filmed it back there for like world fishing network. And, it was like a little area to where it's like if you're two inches this way or two inches that way, um, you're completely off. You know, you're not going to get hit. But if you drop down like this between two pilings, you know, six inches this way, six inches that way to where you're in like this inch and a half frame and you drop down into that frame there. Um, you know, you drop down in, in, in three, four foot successions where you're 12 feet down and you lock up and uh, they're there. Yeah. And it's been that way for you know, 10, 10, 10, uh, probably longer than I've been fishing it, you know, and it's just been that way. And it's habitually every year. It's the same thing to where, uh, you know, they show up and they're in the, the exact same spot and you'll get like three or four bites out of it. And they're all like huge fish. Um, uh, we do get small ones too, actually. Uh, our tog got beat up pretty, pretty good down here. Um, you know, these fish weren't very targeted, you know, prior to 2010 or so. And, you know, a lot of those fish that used to spawn in here, we used to do like catch and release and stuff like that during the spawn. Um, a lot of those fish, uh, you know, got harvested throughout the year on the near shore pieces because they because they they travel between here and like one to three miles out right. and uh, and back again. Uh, they spawn in different ways. It's like you know, there's uh, talking to my cousin who's a biologist, um, and I can't quite remember the name for this. Doctor Patterson had the exact name of the spawning technique. So, um, and I'm sure this exists for sheep's head as well. Um, you know, different fish migrate different areas and different and different modes of of, uh, of spawning. So inshore, uh, the tog would would spawn. Uh, there would be many males fighting over one female. Okay. You know, uh, so you, you can see like immature males, you know, fighting over not immature males, but you know, definitely not fish in their prime, uh, fighting over uh, you know uh, females. And uh, what you would see is you'd see the tog would be in the bottom. And then what happened is uh, the males would chase the females up through the water column. And the females, before they hit the surface, they would go ahead and they would go back down again. Well, the males, as they're trying to spawn with them, would go up like this and try to um, make contact with the female. And then the males would just shoot out of the water. So you'd see <laughs> – yeah, so it's not uncommon here <clears throat> to see to see tog um, jumping in the inlets. And everyone's like, oh, tog are jumping. It usually happens around May yeah. um, when they're spawning. But, but when you go offshore – it's different it's a different scenario so you have these huge mature fish you know the the 15 16 18 pound um totog and out there what's happening is and these fish never really come in short what's, what's happening out there is you'll have a gigantic male with a harem of females wow of like 12 females with, with the females competing to, competing to spawn with that with that with that large male sounds now, a lot like turkeys sounds a lot like everything <laughs> yeah so that's true yeah but yeah, same same thing with turkeys as well, or bucks. Is you know, yeah, bucks. Definitely, it's 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 how you know it's how the best genes get passed along, and um, you know, but you throw in another wild card is that these these fish are is it dimorphic? I believe, uh, sexually dimorphic to where they where where they'll they'll change sexes, and and they do that. Um, I, wow. I I believe snook do that as well. Uh, striped bass, um, salmonoid, they do not. Um, but I think a lot of the different wrasses will change sexes. And what you have in, in, in the wrasse family, and you'll see with the parrotfish as well and Napoleon wrasses too, you'll have super, you'll have what's called a super male. So you have like what is a regular um, tog, 
and they have what's called a super tog, which is, you know, a super male. And they, and they take on these, these square chin characteristics that you won't really find, um, in the, in the lesser males of the breed. Wow. So I haven't noticed anything like that with sheep's head. Sheep's head, um, we have a spawning population here now. Um, you know, kind of, kind of going back that uh, to to the sheep's head here. They're not really, you know, uh, considered a warm water fish down in Florida. They come in when the water's cooler. Um, but here, their natural range goes all the way up the sheep's head bay, Brooklyn, and it's kind of funny. Um, guiding and doing seminars here and everything. Um, I've had enough influence where people have tried it, you know, in in their areas, and and I had a lot of hashtags um, for my product up in Brooklyn. Sheep's Head Bay, Brooklyn, people are tagging up there again, uh, you know, in these times. And and so these fish are reclaiming their natural range where they once were. That's cool. Um, yeah, which is all the way up to Sheep's Head Bay, uh, Brooklyn. So it's absolutely fascinating, man, to see where people were, were catching them. And that's, and that's how I met Elias um, is through uh, is through Instagram. He was he was targeting these fish up in the Raritan Bay. And he was getting monsters up there, huge sheep's head. And, uh, you know, so we started, so we started, um, you know, messaging back and forth. And that's how I, and that's how I met Elias V. So um, he had a a phenomenal population up there. Um, So they're, they're just like reclaiming their range um, where they once were, probably habitat improvement, probably a plethora of different things, you know, that, that have kind of come into play. So it's a, it's a very unique thing for up here. Um, definitely more and more common uh it's been stronger years but you know people people may say well it's due to climate change well it's you know they're not they're not they're not that factor of fish they're not um they're not you know that that kind of fish that is going to be a the they might call them tropics they're not they're certainly not tropics you won't find them in the florida keys or or redfish as well either we had an inlet here called corson's inlet and it was called um the redfish capital of the world uh, because back in the 1920s, Strathmere.net um, is a town here that has a little old website, and you'll see these guys in like suits and ties, you know, uh-huh. with the mud ends and everything, and they'll have like just wall hangers of redfish, big bull reds, and we had habitat there called Joel Grass, which was which was a grass that was off the beach, and uh, and we had all these these which is like, kind of like eel grass or turtle grass yeah. almost. Um, so yeah, we had like a different ecosystem back then and, um, and these fish, uh, you know, like the redfish, Hey man, um, I've done super well in Destin, Florida and, you know, upper fifties, same, same thing with sheepshead as well in the upper fifties. So, um, and I've, we have, we do have a population of redfish here. Uh, but it seems like to get across that, that chasm of the Delaware Bay is difficult for them. Um, we, you can go in the Delaware Bay here and you can find spade fish, um, cobia will come up in the Delaware Bay and they'll follow the sea turtles. There's a lot of crabs here. We, and we have, we have a better population of cobia here than we've ever had. I know you guys had some ex- phenomenal years down there. I know the Chesapeake Bay tunnel bridge, they just had like these banner banner years. Um, I've hooked a few in my boat, like three miles off the beach on cans here. Um, I've never been, I've never been lucky enough to, uh, to land one here, but, um, I think one was caught here outside, um, one of our islands, I think it was like 96 pounds. It was huge. I think really? it was a new state. Wow. Yeah, it was somewhere around that. Maybe it, don't quote me on that. I, it, it was big. It, yeah, was, it was really, really big. big. You know, I, I, you know, I fish plenty of Destin, Florida, and that's, you know, you get huge fish there. Um, well, just like um, any fish species, though, when you look at it, like the larger fish, usually the world record fish are coming from their northernmost range. What's funny, yeah, what, and I've, I've, I've always said that different, like, talks I've given, and um, you look at Prince Edward Island. You know, and this huge bluefin tuna that are up there. Right. Um, and 
the huge cobia that you know that that migrate. It's those fish that can do it. And once they reach here, things like the sheep's head, you know, it seems, it seems like the further north you go, the bigger they get. CCBT, uh, CBBT is you know, there's monsters over there. And it seems like if they can make it that far, if they can get up there, there's just little to no competition. And believe me, if 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 I have um, an area that's just you know that that's hot for a tide, I have I have like literally no bycatch. These fish move in and they push everything out. Yeah. Nothing, nothing, you know, there's, there's, there's not a lot of competition for them. And they, they can cut that current. They can get into the prime feeding areas. And, um, you know, it's really amazing. Uh, yeah, it's crazy, too. Um, I get this, you know, I'm, I, I got to see this stuff every day. So I'll, I'll, I'll be on a, on, a, on a huge drum, like a big piling. And, like, this year I was, like, fishing the backside of it with clients. And then I kind of peeked around the front side. And I was like, oh, man, here we go. You know, a, a foot down in a, a moon tide huge tide it was a six foot tide that day it was coming in and there's like 10 11 pound sheep's head on the front of the piling in the current wow in the current uh like a foot down below the surface just nothing like nibbling off barnacles like it's not even affected by the current yeah that's crazy i'll say myself like man it's like it's like you know and and it's nibbling there and a lot of times they'll they'll come around and look for you know crabs that are kind of you know, latched on in, in the current and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, like these fish, you know, you, you you don't realize how well adapted they are to, you know, what they're doing. And I'm like, man, you know, you can't even present to these things, let alone, you know, I'm seeing the thing I couldn't present to if I wanted to. Right. Because it, it, it'll get blown out like right away. It's like the boat's on like, troll motors on full throttle, just trying to keep my spot where I'm, where I'm at. Yeah. Concrete everywhere and, you know, all that stuff. But yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty amazing, Um, you know, uh, how well adapted they are and, and, and that stuff, and it's crazy too, is that like uh, we've had some big fish here, and I'm sure you've seen it as well. You know, half their bodies are missing from like a shark bite, especially these big, big sheep's that It's like you know, half their one, one, all their spines are missing. You know, um, yeah. A lot of the a lot of the toggle we catch, uh, their their tails are gone. You know, because they'll 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 lock in at night in, into some rocks, and a shark will come by and grab their tails and just yank their tail like right off. It's like you know, <laughs> having your, having half of your body bitten in half. And then just like surviving, you see that with deer too. It's like, man, you see you see some pretty sad images. We know with with, with the deer, and it's like, man, these things just, you know, they live in the moment, dude. They're not, you know, they're right. surviving, dude. Right. It's like it's like it's like the stump with like a leaf growing out of it. It's like you know everything everything wants to live, and uh, yeah, it's just crazy how tough these creatures are. Let's let's talk a little bit about um, the tactics that, or, or not the tactics, but let's talk about what you're looking for in a good sheep's head spot up there. Like, I want to see how that plays across the board for, you know, what's cool about sheep's head is you can catch them, you know, down in Florida this all the way like up to guiding. north of you. This is why I like guiding, dude, because guiding is like, it's, it's, like a, it's like a puzzle and it's like, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have like four or five days where um, everything just clicks and you're just kind of on top of everything. Um, and that's, that, that's what makes guiding like so exciting is that I'm able to, it's a privilege of, of, of every day, um, you know, solving something that's just not based on logic half the time. Yeah. You know, based on you know, a lot of it's luck. So a lot of it's like, you know, um, I don't spend a lot of time in one area. I can cover, say if I say, about, say if, I, if I have a bridge here, okay, and I will cover like an entire bridge in like 15 minutes and uh, and I leave. If I don't find anything, I leave. And then what happens is once you do find things, you have about a two to three day period to where um, during that certain time frame, it's going to be hot. The window opens. Okay, so um, 
if my life's easy as a guide, I'll be able to identify three or four windows a day of, you know, of, of going to an area. I remember I, I, I have rare occasion. I had my mom out in my boat, uh, this year and we we're just fun fishing and, uh, you know, just went out for, you know, for some marketing stuff, you know, just, just get some, some, some images and stuff like that. So, um, I dropped this one drum that was that was good like the last two days, and, and she had three fish over over ten pounds. Wow! You know, yeah, within you know a very very short time time frame. I think it was about a twenty five minute window. There is what it offered you, and it seemed like as soon as I got past like, I think it was like as soon as I couldn't hold with like a half ounce, the window closed, and they were gone. Um, and they just moved right along to wherever they were going. Uh, so. What I'm going to look for. Um, so if you have a if if you have a tide, um, if you got like slack tide, usually people you know will tend to fish structure around the slower parts of the tide okay. because it, it's easier to hold. A lot of times I'm dropping down with a quarter ounce, three eighths of an ounce, um, you know, half ounce where, where I'm at. Other areas like the Chesapeake Bay Tunnel Bridge, I'll use three quarter, one ounce, ounce and a half. Um, just different different dynamic there. Um, where I'm at, uh, that's you know, that's, that's the kind of water, I, that's kind of weight I can, I, I can hold with. So, um, the slower tides, uh, the fish are more sp- spread out in, uh, o- over the sand actually in the channels because there's, uh, we call them calico crabs here down South, they call them lady crabs. So, uh, they're buried in the sand around the bridges. So these fish, if you just go and you cast freely around open water and kind of work it back to you. Um, you have the opportunity to get those fish out, out in that open water. Now, wow, that's cool. what I like to do is um, when the water starts steaming, when it starts getting like ripping, well, the, the faster the water, the higher the fish will hold in the water column. Okay, so if, it's, if, the, if the ties are starting, they could be down towards the bottom um, of, a, of a piling or a pillar or any kind of structure that you're fishing. And the faster the current gets, the higher they will gravitate in that water column. Um, because you have, you have crabs that are coming through, shrimp that are coming through, so everything's kind of related now to the surface versus freely going around the water column where they where they were. Right. So, you know, any any good scenario, I'll have like a steaming tide, and I'll be able to um, get in an area, man, where that that eddy is just this mad swirling, and if I can get down, so if I if if I'm I'm and just, some context here of what I'm using. Say I'm using a half ounce jig. Okay. Okay. And I've got a seven foot uh, medium rod, 3000 series spinning reel, a 15 pound braid, 20 pound fluorocarbon leader, about maybe three feet length. You know, that uh, gives me some invisibility, gives me some, you know, abrasion resistance. And also I can leader the fish in if I need to. And, uh, you know, mostly in, in salt water, we all, we all use, leaders right you know right. Fre- fresh water a lot of people will tie to direct because they just you know a lot of times they're pitching or flipping and they, they don't really need to be that yeah that's that. so um yeah so floor so 20 pound fluorocarbon leader uh and uh you know half ounce if it's just steaming and what i'll do is i'll i'll keep that rod tip down towards the water um to where i'm locked and loaded uh the rod tip may be maybe about three inches off the surface uh, and I'll open the bale up, drop maybe two or three feet of line down, and then lock it up, and then just hug that piling like within inches. Then I'll drop down again. Now, now when I go to stop, I'm waiting for maybe a second and a half, maybe two seconds. So I'm so I'm constantly telling my clients to, you know, as soon as, as soon as they lock up and they and they check that that space in the water column, I'm telling them to, you know, just open up again and just let out another 
two or three feet, depending oh, upon cool. how fast it is. If the current's super fast and we're letting out like a foot at a time. Uh, but I think a lot of times when those fish see it come down, a lot of times they're chasing it on the way down. Gotcha. So, yeah. Um, so usually that two or three feet's a, a good zone to do it in. But uh, like with a film crew, um, as soon as the fish see it, they're on it. So there's no waiting. So you can see how fast I can move through an entire area to where if I just cover that column twice, um, that's good enough for me. And I'll move on to the next uh, high percentage area to where they're where they're probably going to be. And it's and it's a lot of a lot of high percentage areas. So um, same thing with like striped bass fishing or red fishing. I know that, you know, which points are going to be on. And I know that, um, you know, which what, what are my lead points going into a sound? Right. right. So I know that. If you if you you know did a, did a bunch of bunch of fishing, you know for for redfish or whatever, I know what areas are going to be um, the most predominant productive for those for those um I guess you call them uh, dominant fish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I know I know, I know where the dominant fish are going to hold. So a lot of times on a bridge structure, um, and you'll see this a lot of time with wreck fishing too, man. A lot of times when you, when you drop down a wreck. The biggest ones usually hit first, and a lot of times that can go for dock lighting too. Dock lighting, or if you're fishing a creek, usually um, the dominant fish of that hierarchy is going to strike first. Yep. Um, so think about um, a little current area where where a bridge is coming through. Well, a lot of times they're not on the backside of the of, of that structure. A lot of times they're on the lead side, so they're going to be in on the front of the bridge. Okay. behind those pillars so um the weaker fish then the smaller fish and then the inferior fish will be on the back side okay getting seconds okay to where the dominant fish are going to be on the on the on the front side of the bridge in a steaming current getting the first dibs of what's coming through unless it's like ridiculous amount of current then they'll then they'll move to the mid column or the back side uh, so primarily do when i show up i'm going to check the front side first um get behind those and uh Man, what an exciting way to fish! Yeah, because a lot of times, you know, you hook them, you hook them on that on that backside, and you know, uh, they will go, you know, with that current, and you know, they'll go back into the bridge again, and you have to maneuver them out. Now, light spinning gear, uh, light tackle, um, it was uh, a challenge in order to get these fish out of like all this crazy structure because we're dropping into things, and and you'll see this a lot in. Uh, in Florida, you know, uh, people dropping into concrete and barnacles and pilings and steel and all that stuff. And, um, and our fish are huge. Uh, Robert field, we, when I, when I had him out in the boat, um, for sheep's head, um, we had the same predicament to where big fish, uh, real tight structure. And if you put the heat on these fish, they're just going to zip you around like three things and you're, and it's done. So that was another frustrating thing to learn how to do. So with a boat or with a kayak, it's a little bit, it's, it's, pretty easy um in that when you hook these huge fish um it seems like like the wrasses like the tog um they have a lot more feeling in their mouth uh these sheep's head are almost dead like they have the like a tog there's crushers are in the throat sheep's head they're just right up front and, and they have those and they have those front teeth that just pick and then you know they have the corn cobs right behind them that that, that just crush everything and it just seems like, man, they don't have a whole lot of um, awareness in, in their mouth, the way a tog does. So what we were able to do with these sheep's heads, we're able to hook them. So say I'm like in this crazy area, you know, between concrete stanchions and, you know, I've got to make a left and a right to get out of there, you know, in order to, because you never tie up. Because if you tie up, it's, it's illegal, number one. 
But uh, if you if you were able to to secure yourself to a structure, uh, you're done because you'll never get them out. Yeah. You you either need to guide them out of there. You got to fool them into into coming out of that structure. So, um, you know that's why you're always on a trolling motor. I have a remote on my wrist. Um, it just makes it easier for me as I'm as as, as I'm finding a fish. So I have, a, I have an old school co-pilot. So it makes it super easy. Um, if I'm if I'm by myself uh, or the clients, it makes it like a dream. If I'm trying to like net fish and I, all I got to do is just reach, reach for my wrist. So what you do is when you hook them, um, most of the time they don't know they're hooked. So the rod's bent on them, but you're not putting any heat on them. Okay. So what I generally do is I generally hook the fish, and I'll either put the trolling motor, um, you know, throttle down current to get away from the structure, or I'll just simply drift if it's if it's like that, if it's that much current. So as soon as I hook them, man. Um, I loosen the drag a few clicks, okay, which kind of seems kind of counterintuitive, <laughs> you know, it does. Yeah. Um, and I'll let the boat drift backwards. So what's going to happen first, first, the fish is going to steam. So he's going to start taking drag line off of you. Okay. And this is like, man, almost 10 out of 10. This works. It's, it's some kind of weird trick. We've done it like 14 pound fish it, it it just works i don't know why i kind of i kind of know why but um i'll i'll get into that so so when the fish is steaming um say it just goes nuts okay and sometimes that happens sometimes you set the hook and man boom it you know the, the blowback can be intense right. uh i've had clients drop the rods in the, in the water um <laughs> you know uh, it, it happens i mean it, it happens because you know some sometimes those fish you know they know right away that they're hooked and the blowback is just super duper intense. Um, but a lot of times you don't know. Okay. So you, so you, so you loosen the drag just enough to where it's like, you take some pressure off. Uh, the fish is already hooked more than likely. It's going to be hooked, you know, way back up in here, right, right, right in that little jawbone. So, so you, so you should be pretty okay. The, the, the rod's medium. So it's going to keep a nice bend in it. Okay. Um, to where, uh, it's not going to be too tight to where it's going to flip that, flip that jig out a lot of times when you have when you have a very fast or a tight rod it's almost like gang hooks on a on a plug like treble hooks uh usually the the more the less absorption the rod can take the more the more likelihood it's going to be able to throw it because if, if, a, if a fish shakes his head and the rod doesn't doesn't absorb that that shake then what will happen is a really fast action rod will just like literally take that hook right in its mouth yeah yeah that's just my style no, I'm with you, and I, I see a lot of people fish rods that are that are too heavy. A lot of times when they're throwing top water, or crankbaits, or stuff and, like and that. If you add in some, like if you add in some like high sticking, yeah. If you add in some like high sticking to where the rods, you know, up here, then then it's going to that that there's this less absorption now, and all of a sudden it's like man, the, as soon as the fish is on, it's off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So the boat's drifting away. The fish is running away from me. So with the drag loose, if the fish gets around any kind of pilings or, or barnacles or anything like that with a, with a, with a looser drag, there's less abrasion now. Okay. There's less sawing motion. So, so the, so the line is going out. So you're not dealing with one part of the line like this mm -hmm. and snap. You're dealing with now a long length of line. Okay. So, okay. so it's taking that line. If it makes any sense. No, 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 that um, does make sense. I, I have, I've thought about this myself and it's like, okay, well, why is this working? You know, um, I didn't want to, because the problem was, is that I would be tight to the fish and I'd break off. So I'm like, okay, well, if I'm too tight to the fish and he's breaking me off, maybe I'll just loosen up a little bit. 
and I'll try to get away. So as you're getting away and, and, and the fish is kind of like almost holding place to where I'm going away, he's taking the line almost seems like, like, you know, like I'm going away, he's taking the line. He's almost staying in place. So what happens is a fish ends up taking the path of least resistance, either left or right. He's going to get broadside now to the current. What's going to happen is as I go backwards, he comes out and sideways. Instead of going that way into the structure, he goes out towards open water. With a huge fish, sometimes it takes a long time for them to come on, to come out of that little pattern where they're, in, where they're fighting and I'm going away. And then what happens is you'll once I'm about 100, 100 feet away from the bridge, they're out. Yeah. Magically, man, they're in the channel. So now it's a matter of time. <laughs> so if I had that fish in the channel now, no matter how big he is, and sometimes they're just absolutely huge, massive fish, um, you know, you're in for like five minutes. Uh, so, you know, then it's a matter of time. And, and those fish are neat because they'll come up to the boat, man, and you got like a dozen runs out of them. You know, they'll come up to the boat and they'll, they'll see you, then they'll go back down again. They'll come up to the boat and they'll go back down again. Uh, but a lot of times if, you, if, you, if you're on a fish uh, – fishing a bridge and you're real tight to them, you know, and you hook them and you, and you bring them up to the surface. So you'll see that fish, you know, with that tight drag and everything, the second that, you know, he comes up and he should come up like right away. Uh, he'll turn around and then, you know, as soon as he goes back down again, it's like, pow, boom, yeah. you know, lines yeah. up. I don't care if you have 50 pound braid, you know, once you make contact with a, with a barnacle like that, um, you know, there's, there's, there's no saving there's anything. No saving. And, and some areas, men are just really hard. We have like a lot of like steel, um, you know, where to get these fish out, it's, it, 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 it requires a little bit of luck. Right, right. And we've been on like four or five times in a row, you know, just destroyed. Um, but there's some days, man, where everything just works out. And um, I mean, they're, they're huge fish that you're after. You know, it's funny too, though. I never really caught the same one. Yeah, that's true. Fish, dude. It's like, I, I never really see the same ones, man. Um, you know, I mean, who, who, who knows how many there are. I know that like, I know Cape May Inlet, uh, there's been stacks of like hundreds there at, at a time um, from, from what I heard from like, you know, divers and stuff like that, yeah. uh, just shoals of these things. So, um, you know, who, who, who knows how many are around or, you know, I know that some hang around um, uh, quite often to where they're tagged and then like a month later they're caught in you know, the right, same area. Right. Um, I don't get into tagging a whole lot. Um, I, 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 I do get a lot of tag striped bass um, that are in here. And usually, uh, you know, that size range, you don't really move around a whole lot. And um, usually their skin's pretty torn up from that tag. And I don't like seeing that. So, you know, usually every fish I've ever gotten that was tagged is pretty, usually it's infected. And, you know, um, we have a good idea. They go, you know, they, they come up here and they turn around and they go out, out somewhere, yeah. you know, so, somewhere off the coast of North Carolina or Virginia, probably, wherever, yeah. wherever they can find that, that water preference for sure for sure well man i just think it's super cool I, i'm gonna be I, I keep getting all these tornado warnings on my phone yeah. here and so we i think we've got i want to keep talking a little bit but i don't want yeah. to to be interrupted by a dropped internet connection and one thing i want to say is it's just so cool to me when you you talk to different people from different parts of the coast that have a fishery yeah. and they just get so you know, they, they just dive so into this niche and, and figure something out to the way that you figure the sheep set out. Um, I just, it, it's really cool to see, you know, and it's, it, it, I think each fishing guide was designed for their own little, 
their area and their fish. And you get a guy like you that's just so dedicated to learning and, and trying to, um, you know, be the best and figure out the best way to catch these fish. Um, it's it's impressive, and I think there's you're just such a wealth of information. Honestly, we could do like a Joe Rogan style podcast where we we sit here and talk, you know, sheep's head fishing for five there's hours. A lot. It's, it's like it's ten years of guiding. I mean, how, how long have you been doing it for? Uh, this is my seventh year of guiding. Wow, that's a long time, mm-hmm. man. So you've been doing this since you were twenty. Yes. Yes. Okay, so I'm on. I think I'm on year number eleven now. Eleven or twelve, I can't remember. Um, but I got, I got started in like about 2010. Back when I was like 30. So, um. You know, it's just pretty amazing um, to do something every day like that. And it's, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I have, I have some days, man, where, um, you know, you're just faced with such, such uh, unfavorable conditions. Yeah. Okay. Where, man. And you pull stuff out of the hat. Yeah. And, um, you know, whether striped bass is my bread and butter. So that's, you know, that's, that's generally like what I do. Um, the Robert field, uh, video I did with him is a great example of that because I have a full schedule and, you know, I, so whatever he called me up last minute. So I've got the, I've got the crappiest tide, uh, the worst time of day, the worst, everything cycle. It's one of those days where I just, you know, I was like, okay, square peg, round hole. I'm not going to bother. You know, I'm not going to make my life harder than it's got to be. Right. So I'm like, I'm like, I'll just leave this one. You know, you know, unless it's like a regular client who fishes with me like every week, I'm not, I'm not booking this. You know, this a certain tide, tide and day. So it was, right. I think it was blown like 25 to 30 miles an hour. Summer, hot, super hot, man. It's like 80 some degrees out. Um, during the day, everything was muddy. Um. I, I had a phenomenal morning trip, so that tells me my <laughs> that tells me that it's not going to be phenomenal the rest of the day. Right. I mean, like a, just a banner morning trip, and then it was calm, it was quiet. You know, um, there was like no seams out, and then it's like you know, and then it's like a, a gale after that. So <laughs> sounds like summer. Yeah, sounds like summer, <laughs> and it, it is what it is. So you know, um, so he meets me at the dock, you know, at like eleven o'clock because I have like the last of the outgoing tide, and it was a blowout tide. It was it was southwest, you know wind just blew all the water out so we end up we end up going there getting the 11 pound sheep's head in like 10 minutes i don't know i don't know how that happened you know uh then after that he's like well what do we do now i'm like i guess we strike bass fish now because you know i don't think we're gonna be topping what we just did you know with, with everything that was that, that was happening you know the right. water was just, you know really muddy at that point it was like orange but i have grass beds here so we went to um to a polling flat uh you know, we and I, and I pulled for about, you know, 45 minutes and just surrounded by the southern rays, nothing else really, uh, some some good B-roll footage, uh, and then the tide slightly started moving in, you know, over the grass beds with like some like decently clear water, and you know we we got one fish on top water. It's like okay, wonderful, you know. Yeah. Um, he's only there for a day, and uh, you know. That afternoon, I think we had like 10 more fish, but I mean, the conditions were absolutely horrible, but there's enough, I guess, reference experience, you know, to where you can kind of pull that out of your hat Yeah. Uh, to where, you know, conditions are that bad and you can, st- and you can still find fish. Um, and 
I don't I don't really know where I'm, where I'm going with all this, but well, just, just just as a guide, you know, the more time you put into it and 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 perfecting your patterns and perfect like spending so much time in the water that you you'd go crazy if you didn't try to geek out about what you're doing and learn every little little part. Of I mean, it. I mean, how, I mean, how many days to like surprise you about how fluid it is? It's like I have. It's water. never. It's never fluid for me. It's like every day I feel like. So, well, no, that's not true. But a lot of see, days have, it's like see, a, my I have, beef I have, like, I have. Okay, so when 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 the migration comes to me, okay, so I. Are you I talking straight bass? Or are you talking straight bass? Straight bass. Okay. Straight bass. Yeah, straight yeah, straight bass. So it's either fly fishing or you know I well, I do a lot of fly fishing. Cool. I I learned that off of YouTube. Nice. Um. Okay. Yeah. Um. So. You know, I'll have I'll have like the migration that, that that comes through when I have like migratory fish. Um, it's usually after the mullet run, and man, it's like, you know, say I do two trips that day, you know, one in the morning and one in the afternoon, dude, and, and like no matter where I go, you know, everything just comes together, and um, uh, incoming tide or outgoing tide, it's just like all those hard, difficult days that you have, and sometimes there's many in a row, you know, um, and expectations are you know, aren't my expectations. Right, right. You know, I have expectations through the roof. I can't escape my expectations, you know, because I've been doing it for like a really long time. So mm-hmm. I'm expecting, you know, um, a certain day. And my client's expectations may not be anywhere near my expectations. They may, they're, they're, uh, they're, you know, their expectations are, you know, are probably in line more with reality. Yeah. You know, where it's like, dude, I, I've been on plenty of guided trips where I get, you know, one or two really nice fish and I'm like totally, um, I'm, I'm, I'm enamored. I'm, I'm, I'm like, wow, this is great. Or if I, you know, if I, if I, if I go with a guide in the Everglades on the, on like a skiff guide in the Everglades and I catch, you know, uh, a nice snook on top water or, um, uh, you know, just a really nice redfish in a really cool scenario mm-hmm. to where it's like, okay, you know, I, I had to put, you know, my little half ounce spook, you know, up a creek perfectly, you know, feather it down to where it's like, I didn't spook this fish that was just sitting there. Like a, a, a moving redfish typically isn't a feeding redfish. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. But they're and, opportunistic. Uh, they're opportunistic, but like, like all fish, yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and have that fish eat um, in that scenario. And it's like, wow, or see a cool thing that, you know, I don't usually see all the time, which is like the best thing ever is when I see, when I just see like an awesome feeding scenario, you know, where we spook fish and they just ran into the side of the boat and the way out of the creek, right. you know, that's, that's like cool stuff. Um, so yeah. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, my expectations are, you know, above and beyond what, what, what my client would expect. So you have to keep things in perspective, um, to where, you know, I have, uh, and, and been guiding for 10 years. I've, I've kind of adjusted what I well consider, a, you know, um, a good day would be, you know, um, one or two fish sometimes, yeah. you know, versus, versus letting the world on fire. Um, it, my, my clients get excited just by missing fish, you know, <laughs> which, you know, on, on top water. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but, um, we've gotten really good at top water fishing because we just don't get that excited anymore. Right. right like, yeah. You know, we can, the more we excited, can the more you're ripping the plug away. Yeah. We, have, we, we, we can have a conversation, look the other way and we know what's going on, but we just, we, we just, we just never pull off of a fish. Right. Um, right. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a shame because we just don't, Maybe if it was like a, you know, it's funny. Crystal River, Florida. Um, Monk, Monkle has a place there, and uh, you know we're on a, we're on the, the the grass flats out there, and you know there's fifty pound coby on on top water plugs. Yeah. And I was pull, I was pulling a lot of those fish because I just wasn't used to casting that many coby on top water. <laughs> yeah. So that was like that was like interesting. That was like different. I was like, I was like wow, this is uh, 
you know, this is something else to where it's like I actually got that back for like a day. Yeah, the little knees <laughs> shaking. Like, and... <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. Um, you know, and, and sometimes, I don't know how much snook fishing you've done, dude. Sometimes, like, hearing how hard a snook hits when you can't see them. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Or when oh, you're skipping soft plastics or a fly up underneath the bank and you're not sight fishing and you're like, twitching. Bam! Bam! Yeah. yeah, you'll rip oh, and, yeah, the, the, so the, the amount of water they vacuum out when they when they hit something, that's like, you know, that's 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 pretty incredible as well. I need um, to apologize real quick for anyone that's listening to this podcast in their car because we both just yelled at the same time. So if that scared you, oh, hopefully okay. it woke you up. We were both like, bam. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, there's a... You know, there's that, and then then there's um, you probably deal with this a lot. What, what kind of what kind of boat do you have? Uh, ask you. I have a uh, a Maverick 17 HPXS, and then I got a 23 Jones Brothers Cape Fisherman. So I, I oh, kind of wow. jump between the two, um, wow. near shore and inshore. Stuff. I got one boat. Yeah, I had to pick. <laughs> You're my, lucky. My, my I just replaced yeah. the powerhead on my Jones Brothers. Uh, <sighs> broke it back in. Eight eighty five hundred dollars later, broke it back in, and yeah. the first day on my first trip after, there's oil dumping out of the out of the uh, cowling. So I'm pulling See, it out I, again tomorrow I, I, I to get that, it fixed. Two stroke oil. I've have I've had that. Is but it was uh, a yeah. that was two stroke oil. That that was my reservoir jug. I still have a two stroke. Um, I'm I'm jealous because the two strokes they're not so. so I have I have a work with the Optimax. On. I pretty much redid everything on it. All the the water jacket. Um, a tremendous amount of work. Um, to just refurbish everything. Yeah. But I just love a two stroke. Yeah, they're, definitely. They're definitely. Absolutely phenomenal. Um. So yeah, uh, I I have one poison I picked, and that was this inshore back bay. So um, so no matter what tide, time of day, anything, I, I I would have to put things together. And you know, when I was learning, you know, back in the mid two thousands with my dog, you know, we'd go out for sixteen hours a day, twenty hours a day, and we'd fish like no matter what tide it was. And you know, I I would I would pull a low tide flat midday, um, uh you know, and, and, and try to find fish in every scenario I possibly could. And then it's like, I would try to figure out how to catch fish on top water after eight thirty AM. And then I'd push myself till 10 AM. And then I push myself till 11 AM. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, I kind of unlocked like different scenarios where yeah. I hit top water days to where it's like, literally the only thing we do on my boat, literally like, you know, during that temperature frame, is throw top water. We don't throw like during the season. We don't throw like any subsurface. Um, sometimes in the spring before they will hit top water. And when I say they'll hit top water, like this time of year, they'll fall to the boat and yeah. turn around. So that's not hitting top water. Unless I got a client that wants to do nothing but throw top water, then I'll get one on top water and tell me that they are hitting top water. Right, right. <laughs> but you know, uh, but. Then you know, come around the fall again. I'm 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 doing a lot of live lining on the jigs and stuff like that. Or I'm you know I'll, I'll do like some subsurface, but for the most part, it's just top water. Yeah, so uh, where I'm fishing at here, are are we have an intercoastal waterway that's dug through a flat for like 20 miles. So um, we have like all these grass beds and everything. Um, and it's just very very um, conductive to throw top water. Yeah, it, that it, sounds it, awesome, especially not, for striper. It's like, dude, I have, I have like hardly any deep water around. We have kind of like ditches, and in the fall, these fish gang up in the ditches, and they'll and they just respond very, very well to live spot. Yeah, you know, with, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with those things. Oh yeah, some at all. Yeah. Well, then, well, we're at an hour, so we're gonna. I think we're gonna wrap it up. Um, I want to come check out your fisher, man. That just sounds like the striper fishing on top water, big sheep's head, yeah. the tog, like. I've got a bone to pick with some tog right now. That's been my fish this spring. Yeah, you know, really I, I mean, I, I I do love them. Um, 
they have like dog's eyes, man. It's it's a it's a it's like sturgeon. They're kind of like the same way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but man, what a what a cool fish! Right now they're spawning, so you get like these huge females that are um that are loaded with roe and 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 everyone any anyone that that knows anything about tog, you know, um with those big females is that you know they 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 release them, um but they're uh they're they're so abundant this time of year. Um then the males come in and it, it's just. It's, it's one of those fish that you just absolutely fall in love with when you're when you're fishing for them. There's there's nothing quite like a amberjack fight a certain way, the 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 tog they fight a certain way. Um, the sheep set are just like you know they're just turbo fish. Uh, but yeah, it's like you get on like a it's almost like tog like being caught. Yeah, and you, and you get a catch and release bite on a wreck in like 25 foot of water, and it's just it, it it's it's a tremendous amount of fun. It really puts a smile on your face. It, you it's very difficult to get tired with like a togathon is what we call it when it's like when it's like that kind of bite to where it's like i remember like grabbing like like claws off the concrete of the bridge like somebody like left like these crab claws there like weeks ago and the bite was so hot you're dropping down like dead crab crab claws and, and you know, they're still eating <laughs> yeah it's it's like those days where they eat like the bottom paint off the boat yeah it's, that's it's that, cool it's that good that's yeah. super cool well, I've got um, here, if you're watching, it's Captain Dan Schaefer is, is who we've been interviewing. And his Insomniac Guide is your Instagram. Um, you can check out yeah. Bottom Sleeper Jigs. Yep, Bottom Sleeper Jigs, Instagram, um, Insomniac Guide, Instagram. Yeah. Insomniac Guide Service, um, Facebook, BottomSleeperJigs.com. Um, yeah, it's, man, we didn't get in the whole bait thing either. Gosh. I, I know. Well, I think we'll – It's such a process. It's such it's a process. Such, it is, and it's, and it's something that – I've got being a guide and, and having enough bait alive and everything. Um, it's one of those things where you, ha you have it down to a science. Yeah. Um, yeah. Location and storage, storing them, which I store everything, um, you know, so everything every day is available to me at the dock. Yeah. So I figured different ways to keep fiddler crabs alive indefinitely. Um, yeah, so there's 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 lots of yeah lots of ground to cover with that. Let, well, let's talk about that real quick. We're, we'll run yeah. this a little bit longer because that is an important I, piece. I think, of, yeah, but with all the inner tidal zone, you know, yeah. which is which is where most of your most of your forage species are are located. So you have ghost crabs on the beach, you know, ghost crabs, um, you know, uh, available via flashlight, yeah. um, but a little bit harder to catch. But you have uh, primarily um, you have uh, sand fiddlers. Like nothing has like a like a like a a, a modern English name. Everything's mostly Latin. Yeah. You know, fiddlerinfo.net <laughs> is one of the resources I, I had read into. Um, I'm just like, a, a, just a nerd that way. I need, I need to find out like the reasons for all kinds of different things. Yeah. You know, um, so, and there's many different fiddler crabs that look the same, but, um, you know, they're worldwide. Indonesia has like something like 50 miles of like intertidal zone through mangroves. Like really? the tide goes at 50. Crazy. Like these salt, like these salt swamps. Um, yeah, so uh, the first thing um, is the is the, is the upper tidal zone. So it's so it's out of the water, and that's where you get, and that's where you find your sand fiddlers. Okay, uh, that's that's they're available. They're available pretty much any time. And um, you know, tide goes out, they and they go down, and they and they sift the balls of sand, and they clean up all the algae out of the sand. They see all these balls left behind, and then you know, the hotter it is, the further away they'll go from their holes. So they'll go. Um, if it's a really like hundred degree summer day, they got to go all the way down to the water line in order to find soil that's still wet. Okay. Right. Overcast days, a lot of times they can hang, hang out near their holes because they don't have to venture as far for wet sand. 
Mm-hmm. So if you get like a really hot day in the summer, um, you'll have just fields and fields and fields of fiddler crabs, you know, by the thousands. And um, those sand fiddlers keep very, very well in a floating box with a little bit of mesh netting on them so you can kind of get out of the water a little bit inside that floating box. And, dude, they'll survive all winter. They could freeze. And you can open that box up in the spring. Like, they're still in there and still, like, alive. Wow. Um, so I, I, I left my fiddler box in the water, like, one year, and I had to do a seminar. I went down to check, and I was like, oh, man, there's, like, 100 fiddler crabs in here, like, still alive. It's pretty <laughs> nice. But um, any any warm day uh, inside of a inside like a muddy creek you'll get those mud fiddlers you know any any warm day in the winter they'll, they'll actually kind of come out and like mill around because that that mud does heat very quickly the mud fiddlers they, they work okay but they just don't keep well okay. they keep terrible um now rumor has it um elias hasn't seen them but rumor has it um wilmington north carolina going north you'll find the asian shore crabs um I'm not sure how available they are in the Virginias. I just know they, they, they showed up in our region here in the 1970s in Ballast Water, around Cape May County is where they first showed up at. And they are an intertidal zone uh, crab that's, I guess, from Asia. And uh, uh, they're like all the way up to, I know Rhode Island, um, maybe further than that, because they, they sell them in Rhode Island. Um, but it's a it's an invasive crab. And in the intertidal zone, in, in areas where it's a little bit harder sand, you can flip rocks or flip pieces of sod bank, and you'll, and you'll see those. We call sod bank down here, or like our marsh, we call it sod. Up in North Jersey, they call it sedge islands. Okay. Um, but it's not like sod for us. Uh, Cape May County is made of it, just fields and fields and fields of, of, of sod. Um, so uh, you flip that, and on, on usually a hard substrate, like a little like rip, rip-rap rock wall or something, or, or, or a bank where there's rocks um, in that intertidal zone, and you'll find those ancient shore crabs, uh, usually towards inlets. Okay. Um, go into a muddy substrate. Then lo and behold, here's the mud crabs. And now Asian shore crabs and mud crabs, especially mud crabs, keep phenomenally well in a submerged eel tent that's on the bottom. Okay, they don't, neither of them do very well in a floating box at all for one reason or the other. Uh, but in a, in a, in a sunken eel, eel pen with a few bungee cords on it because we have a lot of otters here, uh, they'll do extremely well and they'll just, and, and they'll just keep forever. And then, of course, there's there's hermit crabs that um, will come in and out of an area. I've heard great things about sea urchins. Yeah, I've, a lot of guys heard, down here fish sea urchins. Yeah, we, and what's funny, we have we have lots of them here. I never really messed around with them. Um, I know I know uh, some people that just swear by them. They say they're just absolutely phenomenal bait. Um, I just never had. Luckily, I have so many sand fiddlers um, around here that we just do phenomenally well on them. Uh, but usually, usually, typically in the spring, uh, the mud crabs, the Asian shore crabs do really well. And then when it gets hotter out, um, sand fiddlers, are abil- their availability spikes like through the roof. Um, they do really well. Now, we have a, what's called a green crab up here. Um, it's a crab from like England. It's more associated with colder water, okay. uh, I believe, from England. And uh, they um, they work phenomenal on on tow togs certain times of the year uh for sheep's head they're just too much i don't know if, it's not like they're too dirty they just don't like them that much what's right. funny here too if you go and you shell like adult blue claws um you know legal ones up here for sheep's head we don't do that well on them. um it seems like in the carolinas and virginia like blue claw is just i see elias with 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 what he does and they're like phenomenal phenomenal bait yeah um here i do that well yeah, you so don't do too well not blue claw. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, I know that like the the calicos, um, the lady crabs are just absolutely phenomenal. But it's kind of a you know, if I have to go get bait, I usually you know 
pick out like one or one or two days a week to where I'll you know go to like one of my little areas. Uh, we're surrounded here by inlets. Our isle, our islands are like five miles, two miles long. So there's there's bridges everywhere. Um, so it offers like a lot of like different places to have access um, and uh, go down there and and uh, you know get your bait. And I have like maybe four or five different areas that I've kind of scattered out for like sand fiddlers, so I know where to get them. And right. uh, hey man, sometimes sometimes you get pretty hard up, and I got out like two in the morning, <laughs> you know, before the trip. And that's you know that's one of those things. But you you, you tend to try to get you know more stocked um, than you usually have to be. And the thing about sheep's head too, you don't go through a tremendous amount of bait. Yeah. Um, not like the, oh gosh, you, you know, you can, if you're tog fishing, you can go through like a five gallon bucket of green crabs, like no problem. They're just, they're ferocious. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing we do have here is we have around our bridges, we have a, a very large population of, uh, gigantic resident striped bass. Wow. So in Will the, they eat the crabs season, as well? Dude, the first one I ever saw, yeah, they'll, yeah, you, you'll, you'll get like 20 pound fish on crabs, but but, 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 dude, the first, like, at my marina is, like, a, is, a, is a bridge. Like, really, I've done trips without starting my outboard. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, just these phenomenal, like, togs, right? Bash, sheep's head trips. You know, like, these these awesome bites, man, where it just stops boat traffic on the 4th of July. Yeah. I, just, like, that good. And I remember, like, this one 4th of July, um, I was I was out there and with my, uh, with my, with my buddy, and... He hooks like a seven pound sheep's head. And man, this fish is like 50 pounds, dude. Striped ass. Goes after the sheep's head. I hit it with a net because I'm figuring, I'm like, I'm like, holy smokes, this is like a shark or something. Right. It's like the size of my dog, dude. I'm like a Labrador. You know, this thing's like, it's the head <laughs> seems like gigantic. Yeah. And, and so, so it goes after it. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, hot damn. I'm like, I'm like, do you see that? So, you know, we end up like with a just our, our best sheep's head ever on my boat that day. Like we, we dropped on this fish for like forty five minutes, man, until like we 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 counted rod strokes down, letting out line to the bottom, and then locked up and set the hook on nothing. Got him on the bottom of the shank, like fourteen pounds three ounces. Fought that fish for like ever, <laughs> and then the next fish after that, we got like a five pound tonk. Well, the striped bass got a hold of that one and took it. Wow, swung halfway down, and then it, then. It, then it disgorged it when it figured out that there's a, you know, it was attached to something. Right, right. And uh, so it gives you an idea of, of like, of like what those like really big striped bass or redfish for that matter, you know, what they eat, um, you know, five pound tog, you know, they might hang in an area for, you know, th- three or four days and maybe eat a five pound fish. It kind of gets out of line for a moment, but yeah. we would only see that fish. And I saw that fish the rest of the summer. I saw them every week about but it only rose for like a four or five pound fish. It would never move. We were catching like one, two pound fish. You'd never see it. But man, the second you hook something nice, here comes that striped bass. Wow. So, I mean, so extremely keen of its environment, of, aware of like, of like what's going on around it, but it owned that bridge. Yeah. It and doesn't want to move unless it's worth it. <laughs> so, which gives you an idea of like, okay, you know, um, if I'm throwing around soft plastics, <laughs> it's probably not going to get looked at right. because this thing, it, you know, this thing knows exactly what it needs to do to survive. And, you know, we've had, um, I can get into the, the whole flounder fishing thing about, you know, about, you know, what those fish eat. My, 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 my biggest flounder in the back bay is like 13 pounds, 10 ounces tournament day, record tournament fish. Um, you know, so I know a lot about, you know, trophy 
trophy flounder in the back bay and, and we've done ear bone studies on them so i know how long they live i know what kind of salinity they stay into i know how how far they migrate in and out of the backwater yeah um just from what the different universities told me plus you know um i got a lot of insight from my cousin uh, down in florida um as a biologist he sticks to hard science and i've got all kinds of theories and yeah and you know how i think things might be and he doesn't delve into that. He delves into facts and, and, and what's proven and stuff like that. But it's, it's very interesting bouncing ideas off of each other. For sure. Um, as far as like, you know, what I believe might happen and what, you know, what little hard science is available um, on a certain topic to, uh, you know, to kind of come come to conclusion. But I think it's a lot of fun just theorizing and, um, you know, coming up with ideas and sharing them. I do too, man. I think that's what's got me on this whole train of podcasting and creating YouTube content. You're the same way. It's just figuring it out, kind of articulating it out and, and sharing it with others, man. I think the more successful anglers we have out there, um, you know, that have the same mindsets as us, the better we are to conserve our fisheries and to, you know, have a good voice for conservation. So, so what's your typical guiding? Like, are you, are you speckled trout? Are you, are you redfish? Like what's your typical, I mean, my, I started guiding redfish. That was my main deal is, you know, straight bass water redfish. Yeah. Straight bass is like passion. That's like my, my bread and butter, so to speak. And I've branched out. I, I try to do just about everything I can, you know, whatever's hot. And I, I like to, I like to take, you know, my favorite thing to do is, is sight fishing for redfish in shallow water. But yeah. I love, I mean, I could, I always tell my clients, I could have as much fun catching a carp on a piece of bread as catching sailfish on a fly rod like i just i really like it all i like trying to figure it out and i like trying to become the best i can be at these different um, types of fishing so i think being a well-rounded angler and, and targeting a lot of species in a lot of different ways man. and variety makes variety you a better angler exactly exactly yeah, variety is the spice of life man it really yeah. is well man thank you so much for coming on um it's been i mean we could literally i think we should do another podcast maybe get you yeah. and elias on here and just talk about bait and when to fish certain baits like for tog and sheep's because i think that would be a great podcast and um, how to catch it and go a little bit more into how to store it maybe even get some pictures of your traps and i can drop them in here and not yeah. your traps your uh your your cages my, my storage your my, storage uh, stuff yeah crab condos man exactly yeah. crab condos i like exactly. it I like it. happy crabs man well i'm going to link all of your connections so your your social platforms as well as your yeah. websites and your guide, guiding website and your bottom super website and everything to the show notes here on all the podcasts as well as on youtube um and thank you again man for coming on just what a great show so much oh, information this was one of the ones where i wish i had a notepad and a pin out so i could like take notes i was like I think we have those Asian shore crabs. I'm gonna to have to send you a picture. You know, I, I I heard word of it, and this is just like maybe Wikipedia or something, um, to where it's like you know, listen, man, it's if you look at the range of any fish, it's usually Brazil to Cape Cod, right? You know, and it's like the crabs isn't that wide, but you know, um, I there might be a few around there. I know Elias looked, but I'm not sure if he had any luck. Uh, I don't I don't believe he did. You yeah. Know. Are they but, flat um, looking, kind of? Well, an Asian shore crab is, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're 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 flat looking. They're almost like you ever like um, you ever see those marsh crabs? I'm not sure which ones you're talking about. A marsh crab is a purple crab, and they make a hood of, in the mud. Okay. So they're usually around like the mud crabs, but like they're purple. They have like this like super duper like Batman suit shell to where it's like they have like these hexagons and these dots that like align it in their carapace, and um. I've never done any good on them, but supposedly people do. Uh, but an Asian shore crab kind of sort of looks like that, but a good crab is more higher uh -huh. because they're, they're 
they're looking around at their environment. Um, where an Asian shore crab is under things, so they're so they're more flat, more rounded. Um, yeah, if you do a quick Google search and you'll be like, okay, that's what they look like. Yeah, you know, I but, got one right um, here. I'm about to. Uh, got big claws, man. Big, big claws. Uh, you know. That, yep. That's sweet. Yeah, I just pulled them up. I, I tried to link it onto the page, but it wasn't working. So, yeah, check it out. Asian shore crabs. Okay. I, I don't know if I've seen them. I was thinking of something else. But, um, but yeah, well, thank you so much, man. Thanks for all that great information. And I look forward to, uh, to staying in contact and, and uh, you know, yeah, broadening our fishing networks and horizons. So. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it's been fun, brother. And I will uh, thank you. I'm, I'm going to close her out real quick. Um, thankfully, the storm didn't shut us down. But um, thank you guys for tuning in. If y'all want to uh, check out the bottom sweeper jigs, incredible jigs. Hookup ratio for, for myself has been has been great. Fishing bigger mud crabs um, here. And a lot of people are, are tuning into the mud crab fishing. They're, they're starting to do that here and realizing that you can eliminate a lot of those smaller sea bass bites that you get on the, uh, the fiddler crabs. But... Yeah, go check out Dan. Uh, incredible wealth of knowledge. If you're going to be up in that area in New Jersey, book a trip with him. Get out there and pick his brain. Learn about cheapset fishing up there. I think that um, you know, learning from guys all up and down the coast about different species is the best way to become a better angler. You know, not just taking what your guy down the street how he catches a redfish, but talking to ten different people in ten different areas about how they catch a redfish and applying it to your areas is a great way to learn and become a better angler. But um, as always, thanks for tuning into the show, and uh, we will see y'all in the next one. Later.